Hi, this is Dan. And I'm Rachel. And this is Gay Gay with the Bible. Bible. We're two queer social workers. Working our way through the Bible. We're not Christians. We're not experts. We're just a couple of gays. Trying to figure some stuff out. Real gays. Real Bible. Hi, everybody. Hi, off to a great start. Um, <laughs> let me let me just get into. I mean, like, hi Rachel. Hi Dan. Hi everybody. Welcome back to Gay with the Bible. Just a couple of gay peeps peeping the the not so good book. Yeah. Right. Fumbling our way. Fumbling our way. <laughs> we're we're covering chapters seventeen through twenty today, which is some big stuff. We got I'm, big stuff i'm really excited i'm about super these excited i almost texted you when i finished reading and was like girl i know but we try not to like communicate yeah. really about anything until we get here so that way it's just all it's like whole foods it's just organic it's authentic baby it's fair trade yeah do we have any questions we did get a question week? yeah okay uh this is from i want i want to say someone that you know maya oh yeah yeah do you yeah. want to Give her a little shout out. Hey, Maya. What's up, girl? <laughs> I think I referenced Maya last year. We went to the Indigo Girls concert together. Or ran into each other, really. Oh, that's the one. At the Indigo Girls concert in Central Park. And speaking um, of Indigo Girls, you yeah. shared something kind of interesting with me today. Oh, yeah. Today is like the anniversary of like when I feel like we fell in love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I dragged Rachel to, because she was like the only lesbian I knew in town. <laughs> Probably still is. And I was like, you must like the Indigo Girls. So we went to the Motor City Casino soundboard and we saw the Indigo Girls and we just, we had a blast. We did. I lost my shirt. You did lose a shirt. I bought a shirt and <laughs> lost it. I didn't lose the shirt I was yeah. wearing. Yeah. That was Not a- that night. So what are, what's, what's Maya's question? So Maya asked us why Detroit and why social work? Maybe not in that order, but mm-hmm. you can attack that. I'll let you start. So for me, it goes, it really it, it really kind of goes hand in hand. When I was starting to consider social work, when I started applying to social work programs for graduate school, I was still living in New York City. I'd also met my partner and we had been together for a little while. And from the very beginning, he was like, listen, I bought a house in Detroit and that's my next move. And so I was like, well, let me see. Let me apply to some. So, you know, I, I applied to schools in New York City. I applied to schools in my hometown in Buffalo and I applied in Detroit. And I decided, you know what? This guy seems pretty cool. I'm going to go on this adventure and ended up in Detroit. But I also what did factor into my thinking, you know, Detroit has a lot of a lot of challenges. It has a lot of underserved people. And I just thought, you know, go where there's the need. Like New York, I'm not saying that there are not people in need in New York, but New York has a lot of money. It has a lot of funding. It has a lot of great programs. And I can say that because I've benefited from several of those social service programs in New York. So I can tell you firsthand experience. Um, so I just thought, you know what, go where maybe there's a little bit of need where you can help. So that's why Detroit and why social work. I mean, I do all kinds of social work. I think that initially it was, well, what's the path to being a psychotherapist that I want to do? Which is fair enough, right? I could do that and um, probably will just be doing that at some point. So that's sort of where social work came from and like why psychotherapy. I was I was in theater for 20 years. I was directing. So I felt like I was doing armchair psychotherapy to begin with. Modern acting techniques are based on Freudian psychodynamic theory. So you are spending a lot of time analyzing a script, analyzing a character, thinking about who is this person? What do they want? What's in their way? How do they get it? Which are a lot of the common questions that we mm-hmm. we think about with our clients. What are your circumstances? What's your environment? How's it impacting you? You are doing a lot of what I call armchair or scrimmage. If you want to look, I'm making sports references. <laughs> You're doing it. Scrimmage <laughs> therapy, right? Being a director. And then not only that in terms of the character, but 
lot of times you're working with actors who have their own psychological makeup and you sort of end up in these like therapeutic counseling, you know, they're bringing up things for them. And somebody once told me that my theater work was very heart smart. And I do think that's where I lean in. And I just thought, you know what? I want to keep understanding the human condition and I want to stop doing it in such a theoretical way and I want to jump in the deep end. And so I did. So that's how I, that's how social work came yeah, to be. Great answer. How about you? Why Detroit and why social work? I have a simple answer to that question and a more complicated answer. So I'll blend them. Yeah. I grew up in Detroit, Metro Detroit. For most of my life, I moved away when I was 19 or 20 and then came back. When I moved away, I, I moved to Texas and I thought I was going to love the weather. Uh, but while I was there, I was like, oh, my God, like I miss garbage. You know, I miss the the Midwest kind of grit that comes from living in a colder climate. I, I loved living there, but it was I just it was it's not the Midwest. So I moved back, had a pretty challenging time in my life. That was about the time that I kind of started coming out to myself. Mm. And then I was like, I need a therapist for this. I can't do this by myself. And I went and I found a therapist. She happened to be an LMSW and sat down in her chair and was like, I think I'm gay. And she was like, all right, bring it on. Let's go. Let's figure it out. And she changed my life. You know, mm. I still see this therapist. Yeah, I was going to say, is this the same? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I still see this therapist. Josette, if you're out there, yeah, <laughs> this one's for you. <laughs> but yeah, she totally changed my life. And I remember when I was trying to reevaluate and figure out, okay, what's my next move? She was like, well, what do you, what did you think? What did you want to do when you were a kid? And I was like, honestly, I wanted to be a therapist. You know, I thought it was so cool. Yeah. And she was like, all right, well, here, this is what you do. This is what I did. And she told me about the social work track. She went to Wayne State as well. And so I was like, okay, sounds good. I'm going to try it. And here I am. Simple version is a social worker had a really big impact on my life. And I hope that I can hopefully be that for at least one of my clients. No, maybe. I know you are. Yeah. I know you are. Yeah. You're a great social worker. Thanks, Dan. So You're are you. You're my social worker you a lot of times. You are my social worker <laughs> who I can have cocktails with. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, That's great. a little different. Yeah, a little yeah. different. Is there anything else that we need to chat about? or I'm off the record, on the record, obsessed with Gentleman Jack, which season two comes Is out next new, week. I don't know anything it's about not Gentleman new. Jack. I was skeptical, and I'm a believer now, so I might need you to watch that so that and this is a um period piece period lesbian drama we, which is what, my favorite is it type. lesbian but there is it what we might now consider trans or non-binary uh, you know gender identity is not discussed right. in the show yeah. but definitely gender expression is certainly queer so and is it based on a true a person real person real person, person. Yeah, real I think person. I know I think I've read Lister is, is a poet not a poet. She was a oh. landowner. Okay. And was only afforded the ability to publicly, but not so publicly, explore her sexual orientation because she was a landowner. And that was very rare back in this time. Mm -hmm. So she didn't have the obligation to be with a man for her own financial security, right? Yeah. I also think, like, in, in certain classes and at certain times throughout history, there was sort of an accepted, we're just not going to talk about it, but yes, they are mm -hmm. absolutely like lesbians, mm -hmm. right? Where nobody came for them. They It was like, don't ask, don't tell, but everyone kind of knew. Well, maybe now you finally have time to watch Foxfire with Angelina yeah. Jolie. I'll get on it. I mean, if there are any other queer people out there from the 90s that have seen Foxfire, like, you're with me, right? This is like a lesbian lesbian cult classic i'll give it a shot okay i'll give it a shot boys on the side oh boys on the okay. side all day all, right. all day I mean, yeah drew barrymore come on Indigo girls yeah. they appear we have yeah. got so much bible okay, I know. yeah we've I got know. so you probably have to cut out half yeah. of this conversation because there's a lot of bible and we're gonna bibles. save boys on the side for next time dan i think you're gonna start us off I sure am. I'm starting us off here with chapter 17. The Israelites journey in stages out of the wilderness of sin as God commanded. They come to camp in Rephidim and there is no water. 
again, the Israelites quarrel with Moses and say, give us water to drink. And Moses says, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? The people continue to complain. Why did you take us out here to die of thirst? So Moses says to the Lord, what am I supposed to do? These people are ready to kill me. The Lord instructs Moses to go on ahead with several of the Israelite elders. You will find a rock at Horeb. I will be standing there in front of the rock. Strike it with your staff and water will spring from the rock and people may drink. Moses does this and the people drink. Because the people quarreled and complained, the translation of the name of this place is now, is the Lord among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Moses selects Joshua to gather some men and go and fight Amalek and shares that tomorrow he will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in his hand. So Joshua does this while Moses, Aaron, and Hur are on top of the hill. When Moses raises his hand on top of the hill, Joshua and his men are winning. But when Moses lowers his hand, Amalek and his men win. Moses' hands grow weary. So Hur and Aaron get a rock for Moses to sit on and they, on either side of him, hold up his hands steady until the sun sets. And this way, Joshua defeats Amalek and his sword. God instructs Moses to write this in a book as a reminder and recite it in the hearing of Joshua. I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Moses builds an altar and calls it, The Lord is my banner, a banner upon the hand of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So you basically have two different stories that happen in this one chapter, mm -hmm. right? First, you got the the story of water. Again, I think this is the second time we've been out of water, out of water, and we're crazy people for asking mm -hmm. to be hydrated so we don't die, right? Mm -hmm. Just so pesky, pesky guests. Yeah, <laughs> just real challenging guests. <laughs> But seriously, it, it's interesting because when I was writing my my bullet points, I almost wrote, and I might have done this in previous chapters, I almost wrote like, the people are thirsty, they're afraid that they're gonna, you know, they need water, they're afraid they're gonna die or what have you, like a sort of sympathetic. But I was like, nope, I'm gonna write exactly what the Bible states. And the Bible frames them as quarrelsome and complaining. The Bible states that. That these people, these people who are being pulled out from slavery, wandering through the desert, not knowing where their next meal is coming from, they are considered in the Bible to be quarrelsome and complaining. Just want to lay that there for you, okay? Moses, again, to me, is just in classic middle management mode. And I feel like this time, it's just the, this whole, like, they're going to come after me. They're going to kill me. Like, this is really poor management. Like, managers, people, it, it's also just about leadership. Like, that's not leadership. Like, in leadership, you do have somebody else above you, right? And I don't love the word leadership anyway, because I don't believe in leaders, because that implies that we have followers. I've never been a big fan of, like, hierarchy yeah hierarchy yeah. and leadership but when you're for lack of a better word in a position of leadership you don't go and like do this manipulative they're gonna kill me i don't know what to say like you go and you advocate right mm -hmm. i'm not a leader of my clients but i go places and i advocate and i advocate within my organization and i advocate within the community i don't say hey these people are like gonna they, sometimes i think they do want to kill me <laughs> right but there's no advocating. Yeah. There's no advocating. No. So no. that made me a little crazy. Moses seems to be more upset about the quarreling and the complaining than God does. Like God has no reaction to any of that. He's just like, yeah, go, go tap that rock. Right? Mm -hmm. He's not like, why do you? You know, in past chapters, he's been like, why do you complain at me? Mm -hmm. You know, all that stuff. So, I, I, you know, God actually seems pretty chill here. But I'm going to talk a lot about trust in these next few chapters, and I'm going to talk a lot about faith. Like, it's I just can't stop thinking about it with this chapter and everything that's to come in the next few chapters. And I'm just wondering, how does the Bible and how does this learned sense of trust, how does it inform our relationships today, right? In terms of trusting God in terms or of trusting? trusting, trusting God. I mean, I feel like this initial relationship with God is 
also like a foundation for for many people on how to relate with others, right? And I'm going to even argue that even people like you and me who don't follow, you know, a traditional religious creed, I'm going to argue that it's so built into us that it does impact like the human framework of trust and behavior totally. and faith. When you especially when you examine like parent child yes. really yeah. are you is that what you were Yeah, and I'll get into at? that yeah. a little bit yeah. later. Yeah. Cuz mm-hmm. that is a big, you know, in my clients our lives anybody's life in, in case you didn't know when you have a disruption in the parent child relationship, the parent child trust, it's a that is a significant trauma right. for children. Specifically, in those parent-child relationships, those are the foundation for all of our relationships in life. Well, and generally, the foundation for how we learn about religion. These next few chapters are the establishment of the core moral code of Western civilization. Yep. Right. Yep. Absolutely. So we're going to hear a lot about like trust and punishment and faith and how all of those things tie together. But for me, trust is a place where I know I can be vulnerable and the person that I am with will respond to me in a sensitive and caring, empathetic manner, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Where I can say, hey, like, I'm really feeling scared, right? Which we can, let's say that this water is a metaphor for scared, And that that person isn't going to be like, why are you complaining? Right? Mm -hmm. But how many of our leaders do we trust? That's a really great question. I am like, I am am really, really deep today. I know. I love it. So Moses isn't so empathetic here, but is God? Like, God doesn't really take a stance one way or another. God's not consistently empathetic if he's ever empathetic in this Bible so far at all. I was re-listening to, like, an old episode the other day, and I do remember that there were moments where God was like, although it might have been manipulative, and at the time you're like, eh, I think that's just manipulation, where God was like, don't be afraid, I'm here with you, comforting. I have not heard any comforting on God's part. With these people. Yeah, I think the last time we even get a semblance of it is with Moses when Moses is like, I don't know what I'm doing. And God's like, mm. but also that still feels manipulative. But too. To people on yeah, mass, no. like you've got thousands of people yeah. here who vulnerable are starving people. and very vulnerable. Yeah. And you're like, why do you cry out to me? Yeah. Why do you think? Um, so this Amalek person popped out of nowhere. I love the solution that Aaron and Hor, whoever Hor is, just right. I, I didn't even get into him, but I love the solution that Aaron, it right. just made a lot of sense. And I was like, oh, I wish somebody would do that for me in like hit class, right? right? Like, <laughs> just hold my arms up. Right. I was really confused by the final couple of verses with the, the banner and the, yeah, I was just a little confused. So my big question was, who's Amalek? And what's the context here? So it sounds like Amalek here is not a person. Amalek is a people. Amalek was a person, and these are his descendants. So the Amalek are a semi-nomadic group and habitual enemy of Israel. Amalek is the name of the founder of this tribe, but he's not likely alive. It's sometimes interpreted that they are descendants of Esau. Remember Esau? Mm-hmm. Girl. Yeah. Woof. Your lover. Hey, Esau. <laughs> um, so they are sexy people. Sexy enemies <laughs> of... <laughs> sexy enemies of Israel. I hope someone describes me as a sexy enemy a sexy at enemy, some point. Yeah. <laughs> And according to the Midrash, and I think I mentioned the Midrash in uh, last season, it's they're ancient Jewish interpretations of the Torah. So they're like accompanying study guides, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, they posit that the Amaleks are descendants of a princess named Timna, who has tried to convert to Judaism, but she was denied by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so to punish these patriarchs, she birthed Amalek, and his descendants, who for generations would cause trouble for Israelites. So she's got Maleficent vibes to me, yeah. which I love. Amalekites are not known outside of the biblical literature. So we won't, you know, we won't find them in any other texts or histories or anything like that. Um, just one other quick side note. This chapter contains the first reference of the creation or instruction to create any sort of literature. 
God says, write this down. Mm-hmm. Write this down yeah. about Amalek. We have not heard anything. And he instructs Moses, who people attribute the creation of the Torah to, right? So this is the first mention of the creation of the Bible that we're reading. So my dislikes, uh, Moses' middle management skills. <laughs> he wrote, advocate, advocate for your people. Don't complain about them. Advocate for them. My likes, it's a bit of a reach, <laughs> but God's presence and help. There's been a series of crises, two water, one food, and one war. And despite his grumbling and in, in sort of gruff nature, he has come through in the long run. And despite the fact that he created the whole situation. Yeah. But he's come through <laughs> in the long run, just not, not in the way I would if I were yeah. done. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I got. Great job. Yeah. I had a little bit more of a simple view here. <laughs> okay. I, I thought it was like the action. I was into that. Uh, the Desert of Sin sounds like a fantastic porno name. <laughs> right, right. I mean, isn't it just called Las Vegas? Right. <laughs> yeah, fun fact, this was actually in Las Vegas. Yeah, isn't it just Coachella? Yeah. <laughs> Coachella. That was just last week. It was last yeah. week. Um, I, and yeah, I, I felt the same way. The poor Israelites, they're not allowed to question anything. It seems incredibly unreasonable. Uh, Moses holding up his hands like this reminds me of some classic tropes that we see in Greek myths and other legends. So like mm. Atlas, oh, kind of yeah. similar vibes. They're not yeah. the same circumstances, but similar vibes, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then I did a little digging after the Atlas reference and found out that there are some people that believe that this story is a version of a famous Egyptian cosmological story about the air god whose name was Shu. And she is held up above the head. Or I'm sorry, Shu, I think, is is maybe male, but Shu is held up above the heads of the goddess Nut while being aided by two other deities to help hold them up to protect mm. water from drowning the earth. Not the same thing, but a similar kind of like hoisting somebody up to accomplish a goal. There's something about that, right? Yeah. And again, with the inefficiency. Um, but I put... Poor Moses in this case. But oh. you changed my mind. Oh, did I? Yeah, you changed my mind. I, th- at I first, was on debate team at, in high school. You did a great job. <laughs> at first, I felt like, here, Moses, like, you got to remember, too, and keep this in context for future chapters, because I'm going to harp on this again, that there are about a million people, probably more at this point, in yeah, this yeah. Um, group of Israelites. Mm-hmm. So this is not a small bunch here. No. And we've got one guy that's allowed to talk to God that we know of, right? And that's a lot. That's a lot. So yes, we can say advocate, advocate, and I agree with you all day, but also this is inefficient and this is God's setup. And that's going to be my gripe probably this entire book. So my question is, I, did did we know who Joshua was? No, he came out of nowhere, too. Okay. But Um, he gets his own book. Yeah. Yeah. So I read about this, got a little bit of spoilers, but so without spoiling anything, he's like Moses's man on the ground now, you know. What happened to Aaron? Um, Well, Aaron's still involved, but there's there's somebody else that might be involved later. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. Oh, you got some spoilers? I got spoilers, yeah. yeah. My dislikes, God's inefficiency and rudeness. Uh, you you said it before. These are vulnerable people. They want water. We're not asking for PlayStations or Wi-Fi passwords. We're asking about water. <laughs> Did you say Wi-Fi passwords? <laughs> no, I, I think somewhere else I, I say iPads. Like, I don't know. We'll get to it. This is water. We're asking. We're talking about water. Okay. Right. This is God. Remember, this isn't just like a a a thrown together anarchy movement that we're that we're like, all right, guys, we're busting out. Today's the day. This is God. Yeah. And we don't have water. If I had to really dig, I'm digging really, really deep for what people might get from this. And it's a if this is a lesson in trust, then you know what? I'll give you that. I'll give them that. You just made a good case for me to like have some empathy for Moses. I mean. He is just a regular Joe Schmo, right? And not very Ooh. eloquent. Quote. He's not very eloquent. My Drag Race fans know why I'm okay. saying eloquent. He does. He's got a million people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I've been in situations where I've had a caseload of 100 people. Yeah, I've gotten I've gotten pretty defeated. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can hold a little empathy for this guy. Yeah, just a little. Yeah. For now. Yeah. For now.
All right, chapter 18. So Jethro, remember? Jethro's back. All right. I've been waiting all week to do that. <laughs> I thought you were going to start like singing Beverly Hillbillies or something. I'm like, do they have a theme song? No, I don't know why. Right. When I saw that name, I was like, ooh, Jethro's back. And then I was like, Jethro's yeah. back. All right. Okay, yeah, Jethro is Moses' father-in-law for everyone who might have forgotten. So Jethro hears about all the things that God has done for Moses and decides that he's going to go visit Moses with Zipporah, Moses's wife, and their two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. Eliezer? What did you think of that? Eliezer. Eliezer, sure. Yeah, fancy. Apparently, Zipporah and Moses's sons were sent away at some point. I must have missed this, but we'll see. So Jethro and company venture out into the wilderness to meet Moses where he was camped near the mountain of God. They greet each other, there's kissing, there's bowing, and Jethro brings a burnt offering and everyone has a little feast with God. Moses tells Jethro about all of the adventures they've had with God and how God saved them from the Egyptians and continues to provide for them. Jethro's delighted to hear about this and praises God. So the next day, Jethro witnesses Moses serving as judge for the people. Uh, The Bible notes that the people gather around him from morning until night and he is serving as judge. Jethro pulls Moses aside after witnessing this, and he says that he's going to burn himself out if he continues to do it this way, and that he should essentially delegate this job out to, quote, many representatives of God. He advises him to teach them of God's decrees and to write down instructions on how everyone should behave so that the representatives can judge based on God's will and can decide the simple cases for the people, but bring the more difficult ones to Moses. Jethro advises that this will keep the strain from Moses and that the people will be satisfied. So Moses does this. Uh, He creates leaders out of the capable men who official over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens of people. And then Moses takes on the difficult cases. The chapter ends by saying that after this is established, Jethro leaves and goes back to his own country. Uh, anything I missed? No, I think you got it all. I just I just really want to put the emphasis on here that this whole judging thing, it's really about the laws of God. So everything that he's judging is about God's will. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jethro is bringing the efficiency that I have been craving. This is efficient. You might not like it but it's efficient. This would have been a ton of work for one person. I mentioned this last segment here, but this is about a million people. And if you are sitting around all day from, as as it says, sun up to sundown, listening to a million people potentially and their grievances, issues, whatever is going on and trying to judge this based on God's will, that's a lot of work. Also, where's God? But we'll get to that. And this is, I put like government, priests, pastors, like this is where it starts. Like this is how people become representatives of God, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I have more to say on that later. So we're Mm going to, I'll hold off. Okay. My questions, is this what is going to lead to the Ten Commandments? We will find out. Is this going to cause problems? I put probably. It says that Jethro is a priest of Midian, and I didn't really know what this meant. And I went to another fun one of my little websites, (laughs) EnduringWord.com. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I mean, can you believe this is happening? Yeah. So (laughs) EnduringWord.com. So EnduringWord.com says that Jethro was likely a descendant of one of Abraham's children. And because of this connection was most likely a, quote, true God worshiper. So this isn't news to him. He's not coming onto the scene like, who's this God I've been hearing so much about? Like, he already right. knows and he's familiar. It just kind of re-solidifies that faith for him based on what EnduringWord.com says. <laughs> um, I didn't know. I didn't realize Moses sent his family away. So there's there's speculations that he did when the plagues of Egypt came, but it never mentions it in the Bible. And this could just be EnduringWord.com, like throwing in some of their own made up stuff Mm. so who knows my dislikes nothing too serious for me but like uh, you know off the cusp but when you dig into this deeper i have a bad taste in my mouth about this being the start of other people interpreting 
God's will. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that this is one of the biggest problems that we see between the relationship of religion and the LGBTQ community Mm. is that there's just so many interpretations of things that have been that some people take literally, some people don't. Some people are like, no, 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 it means this. There's too many cooks in the kitchen on this. And this is the start of it. Right. And I don't know where that's going to go. And we haven't heard anything super explicit yet about homosexuality in terms of like true homosexuality and not sexual assault. I do know in the time that we're living in now in 2022 that we've gotten there. My likes are the organization and efficiency, and it's almost social worky, right? It's almost like, here's a problem. Here's a solution. Let's try it. It's people-based. It might not be perfect, but it's Moses or nobody right now. So you know what? Here's Moses, and let's delegate a little bit. Something. Yeah. He's got to try something. He's got to There's a million people. I think the biggest difference is that, like, right now in Exodus, God is there with laws and instructions, right? Like... God's not here talking to us or, you know, anyone that we can verifiably say. I mean, so why are we? It's wild. My general impressions, uh, the beginning of the chapter, I love this little family reunion and how sweet it is because we've said this before. It's very rare that we get a a kindness, a sweetness, family love, affection. Mm -hmm. We don't get that a whole lot in the Bible. So when it pops up, it's like, oh, it feels like an episode of Little House in the Prairie. I like the idea of Moses in this role. I think I identified as a social worker with a heavy caseload. I'm really thinking of Moses as a social worker Mm -hmm. in these chapters chapters, you know, like, how do I help these people? I mean, he's a judge, I'm certainly not a judge. But I feel like judging isn't just about I'm making decisions and punishing. He even says I'm solving problems, like I'm helping, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm helping with disputes. So he in this chapter, I guess I did have a more empathetic view of him than the prior one. Because in the prior one, I just see him poorly advocating by complaining. And in this one, I see I see him actually working with people and and trying to help. And I do think that he's doing his best. He is there from morning until night, and he's the only one. I love Jethro for introducing self-care. Yeah. Like yeah, the, good one. The Bible introduces self-care and says, hey, I mean, he literally tells him, you are going to wear yourself out. Mm-hmm. And not only you, he says, you're going to wear you and everybody else out. Yeah. Like, this cannot sustain itself, which is true for us as social workers. We think about, oh, I'm going to wear myself out, but also we're not going to be doing right by our clients. Mm -mm. We're going to wear them out. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to screw things up. It's like, so I really love that he comes in and asks for this pause. I can't say that I love his his suggestion, his self-care intervention of like, let's create create a bunch of crazy politicians, right? But again, like you, I, 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 I get it. Right. Something um, had to be done. It's yeah. not perfect, but something something had to be well, done. Well, he goes up setting up civil court. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's really, it's just civil court. Yeah. These are this is all civil arbitration. You stole my donkey. You look you you took my wife. You did th- that's what all this stuff is, yeah. especially if when we think about what's coming up, we know what the most common grievances were. And these were them. Can I just say spoiler alert, we're coming up on the Ten Commandments. If, and, if you couldn't smell it, people, yeah, if it's, you couldn't it's in smell the air. It, yeah. And <laughs> I feel like those Ten Commandments, like whether Moses came up with them or God came up with them or whatever, like Moses sat down and was like, these are my biggest things Mm -hmm. that people are coming to me for. Mm -hmm. And I am over it. I don't know how to explain this to them. The other thing is that the Ten Commandments in this whole setup, this is all a really simple solution because he's not getting the message out en masse. He's doing it couple by couple, party by party, individual by individual, and trying to educate everybody on the laws of how you're supposed to behave under this moral code Mm -hmm. in order to all survive together in this desert, right? But he's not getting the word out to everyone. And it's just like, let's just get the word out to everybody so I don't have to sit here all day and all night listening to how this guy stole your food. Yeah. Right? So... It's a reply all. (laughs) Yeah. We need a a reply all. It's a big, big, epic reply all. (laughs) So yeah, we're gearing closer and closer to these Ten Commandments, the big ones. Uh, Who are these officials that he chooses? Capable men, it says. Yeah. How do we know? Like, what's the vetting process here? We're not not giving privy to 
any of that, right? So I've got real skepticism there. Moses is the one who talks to God, but he's yet he's giving these other people power. We don't know that they converse with God, but we still see this kind of set up in the Vatican, right? Apparently, the Pope has a direct, they always say like, well, the Pope's got a direct line to God. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I, I don't believe that, but we really see that hierarchy so, so heavily in the Catholic Church. I don't know about other religions. Maybe other religions have something like that, but mm-hmm. definitely there. I don't have any big questions for this chapter. I disliked the willy-nilly selection of the officials. I anticipate there will be problems with that, um, but I loved, you know, Jethro's like, hey, you can't pump from a dry well, Moses. Right. You gotta, you know? Love your pop-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this one's this one's a little bit of a doozy. Chapter 19. On the third new moon, so that would be the third month, after leaving Egypt, the Israelites come to the wilderness of Sinai in front of a mountain. God appears to Moses and says, and I just copied and pasted this so you're getting some Bible scripture now. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, that's the, the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my own possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel." Moses gathers the elders and shares this message. The Lord then tells Moses, I am going to appear to the people in a dense cloud so that people will hear when I speak with you and they will trust you ever after. Moses tells the people this and the Lord provides further instructions. Consecrate the people today and tomorrow. Tell them to wash their clothes and prepare for the third day when I will appear to them. Instruct them not to go up to the mountain and not to touch it when I am there. And if they do so, they will be put to death. No hand shall touch them, but they will be shot with arrows and stones, whether they're an animal or a human. When the trumpet sounds with a loud blast, they may approach the mountain. So Moses does this. He consecrates the people. They wash their clothes. And he also tells them not to go near a woman. Morning of the third day comes, and there's thunder and lightning and thick clouds of smoke on Mount Sinai and a blast of a trumpet so loud that people tremble and Moses leads them to the mountain. Mount Sinai is wrapped in smoke because the Lord has descended upon it and it is on fire and the whole mountain shakes violently. When Moses speaks, the Lord responds in thunder. God calls Moses up the mountain and once again tells Moses to go down and tell the people not to break through or they will perish. Even the priests must be consecrated or they will perish. Moses replies, the people are not permitted. You told us to set limits around the mountain and keep it holy. I've done this. God tells Moses to go down and bring Aaron up the mountain, but don't let the people come through or the priests. Moses goes down and repeats these instructions to the people. Nail biter. Nail biter. I mean, that's where it's just like, this is, this is like... This is something else. This, this is, is a seasoned cliffhanger, <laughs> yeah. right? Like this is like like this is like Kimberly blew up the building on Melrose Place kind of <laughs> seasoned cliffhanger. Like we are just stopping there. I mean, we're not. We have another chapter to go. But um this is a huge story. Like this is a huge moment. It's epic, it's scary, and it's bananas. And just uh, my thinking about God's objective. God's objective is to have the people place their faith in him. But he also wants to reveal himself a little. Well, that's that's part of it. Yeah. That's his overall objective. So this is where you get into theater, right? So when you do acting technique, you have to ask, what do I want? What's my objective, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to come up with what's your character's overall objective. God's overall objective is to get the people to place their faith in him. And then you answer these questions. What do I do throughout the play to to get my objective? And you analyze the script and you write down all the things that your character does. So God, he scares them. He coddles, you know, takes care of them. He tricks them. He sets up, he does all these things, right? So that's what's going on here. Now it's like, I'm going to scare the shit out of you, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to appear and I'm going to frighten you. So God doesn't actually say to Moses anything about abstaining from sex 
or fornication or I don't even know what it's called here. I don't know what they call it. Oh, sexual relations. God doesn't say that. Moses does. I'm going to talk about that later. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. When Moses goes down, he you're you're correct. That didn't leap out to me. But yeah, again, this I'm just like this is about trust. The Lord says to Moses, "I'm going to appear to the people in a dense cloud so that people will hear when I speak with you and they will trust you." ever after. So I'm just keep clocking this word trust. Like that's the word that's used. And I'm just like, this is how you build trust. To me, trust is interwoven with safety. Mm -hmm. And this is not, this is frightening. This is traumatizing. I'm a little confused about the wording of the instructions. Like they can't touch the mountain, but then the trumpet blasts and then they can go up the mountain. But then when the trumpet blasts and they go up the mountain, but then they can't go up the mountain, but maybe there's another trumpet blast. Yeah, it's very confusing. It's very confusing. Diva behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do this, do this, don't do that, and then do this, and then do yeah. that. Like, it just, yeah, frustrating. Um, But I love the trumpets. I was so scary. Just trumpets. Interesting. I, that didn't resonate with me well, so I much. Well, I love the trumpets because I remember when I was a kid, my neighbors, like my friend Julie and her mom, who was like my second mom growing up, Miss English, she's super Catholic, super religious. And she used to tell us there was like the Basilica in, in Western New York, which is like this big, beautiful, crazy church. And there are angels on the top of it, and they have trumpets. Mm -hmm. And she used to tell us that when the end of the world came, those trumpets would sound. I know. I was so, I'm so scared, right? So, yeah, that makes sense of why this was frightening for you. So, I'm like, oh my God, the trumpets. How scary. Gosh, that's a, (laughs) I know. That's a terrifying thing, right? God. And I was so scared of those angels for so long. Yeah. God. And I just wrote, this is all very angels in America to me. It reminds me of when the angel appears to prior, you know, especially the way Tony Kushner writes the stage directions. However you choose to do them is up to you. But the way he writes them is along these lines. Just the thought about Mount Sinai, it reminded me of the Tower of Babel, right? And it also reminds me of Mount Olympus. So it's like God's appearing here and it's this idea of like a a structure a mountain that is the connection to to god to heaven heaven whatever heaven and earth yeah My, my big question was because god says at the beginning i bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself i said is this the inspiration for on eagle's wings do a little snippet yeah and he will raise you up oh, on yeah. eagle's yes, wings, bear yes. you up <laughs> and turn and make you shine like the sun. And he will hold you in the palm of his hand. Yeah. Good job. So very famous <laughs> church song usually played at funerals. Yeah. And like me and my sisters always love it when we hear it like at a funeral and we always cry. So I was like, is this was on Eagles Wings based on this? And I looked it up and it's yes. Wow. Um, mostly based on Psalm 91, which we'll get to. This is chapter 19 of Exodus 19 and 91 inversion. Oh. I just thought that was kind of weird. Uh, Father Michael Junkus wrote the song sometime between 1976 and 1979. He wrote it after learning that a friend and colleague's father had died. On Eagle's Wings was sung after 9-11, honoring the victims. And most recently, I heard Joe Biden recite the lyrics of On Eagle's Wings in his victory speech um, after he won the election. I didn't care what he was talking about. I was just like, okay, <laughs> yeah, go. let's go. Um, <laughs> let's just keep it moving. I was just taking a sigh of relief. Was Mount Sinai a volcano? That was another big question for me. That was me. my big like, question. I'm just like, this is, this is a volcano. This is a volcano. There's a lot of internet space dedicated to this question with no conclusive answer. Mm-hmm. So I was not going to make my head spin with that. But that's a theory. And I, I think I have more questions, but I didn't want to spoil the upcoming chapter. Too bad. I already did. But at the time of reading it, I hadn't. My dislikes. Why so scary, God? My likes. The magic. The drama. The scale of this moment. So epic and so wild. I just, I'm loving it. Yeah, the the drama of it all. I, you know, my first general impression was like WTF. Like, and also like, is this a vol- this is a volcano? This is a volcano, right? 
Yeah. Everything about this screams volcano to me. I put that God is like ego tripping real hard with this reveal. I don't want to give anything away for next chapter. I have so many feelings about next chapter. So let me think here. I pointed out the sex thing that Moses added this in. It appears, right? We don't we don't hear God say anything about this sexual thing. But Moses, when he comes down, he includes this rule about abstaining from sex. I think that... What I noted when I read this chapter, and this is going to come up again, is that this feels like a slippery slope of Moses taking Moses maybe taking advantage of his relationship with God to include his own objectives here. When I looked up this thing about the sex and because I was really curious about it, it just kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. And there are people that said that the reason that Moses decided to include that in these rules, even though Mm -hmm. God didn't tell him explicitly to say this, Mm -hmm. is that God wanted them to stay clean for a few days and clean their clothes and that sex would like dirty up the clothes. And so Moses Mm -hmm. wanted to add that caveat in in order to really hammer home the, the cleanliness factor of this, of getting prepared for this meeting. Right. If it's not just an editorial issue where like they didn't include it up in one part and, you know, then included it there, which does happen a lot. I don't think it's about shaming sex or trying to control sex. I think it's about you don't appear naked before the Lord. And I don't think that that's a sexual shaming thing. But it doesn't say anything about nakedness. It just it says to abstain up to three days before. Right. It says it in the it says it in the I only hone in on that because in the next chapter. Well, it says you, you don't climb up the steps of an altar to the Lord. And I had to look up why. And it was because so you don't. You know, you don't have any of your bits hanging out. Yeah, but what's wrong with the bits? This is the and this is the thing that like the, it's just culture like culturally we we have a lot of shame around the naked body usually and, and especially in the United States. You know, in Western culture, it's a thing. And I think yeah. and and all of these things are influenced by. There's so many things that go into this, but this it, it just stood out to me as like a. Yeah, just, I don't get that from the text. Though. Yeah, I think but, that's what humans have done with the text. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. The big thing for me is just Moses taking it into his own accord to include it. And that's going to come up for me later. I also a little bit wonder if Moses is like, just stop fucking yeah. for a few days. Yeah. He, I because think, that's been a lot of his disputes. Yeah. I think that he. I think he's just yes, over it. Yes. I right? think that stop he's. Stop fucking your neighbor's wife. He is definitely <laughs> steering this in a way right now, my perspective, it, that that is going to make his life easier. And I'm we're going to get into that a lot yeah. later. Oh, yeah. I mean, like everyone's cheating on their wives and they're coming to me about it. Let's we need to set up something. <laughs> We've got that. three days and God's going to yeah. appear. We just need to yeah. everybody simmer just down. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Mount Sinai thing, I, I wanted to know if it was real, if it was a volcano. The location's been disputed amongst a lot of different religion. It's important in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and all three of these religions have different uh, speculations about where Mount Sinai is, mm-hmm. and they all have different religious buildings uh, <laughs> erected in these locations. Okay? <laughs> um, I'm a child. I'm just a child. I love it. Yeah. So um, talk, talk about, you know, there we go. Sex shame right there. Yeah. My dislikes is that this feels just kind of unnecessary. If you're God, why do you need all the secretive behavior? Just show everyone who you are and get it over with. I didn't like the shame around sex. That's how I interpreted it. God is a punisher. I don't know if you mentioned this in your description, but in mine, it said that if anyone approached the mountain of God, they would be shot with arrows or stoned, was it? And stoned for touching the mountain. For touching a mountain. It's just like, I my know. God. That's why it's like nail biter. I just, really thought that, like, I'm like, is, is somebody going to break this rule? Who's dying in yeah. the next chapter? Yeah. yeah. Feels manipulative, the whole thing. My likes, I just, <laughs> I, it was almost comical to me. You know, that's the only like I can take from this is just the drama of this reveal is just like, I can't take it seriously. <laughs> I can't take any of it seriously. And I don't have the neighbor lady telling me about trumpets with the end of the world and the rapture or whatever. So like I could, I wasn't scared. I wasn't anything. I'm just I mean, like, this she, is, she will tell you this to this. Day. I mean, I'm still yeah, very close with sure. that. She'll tell you this to this day. Yeah. She's I, also praying for me okay. <laughs> that, you know, like I change my ways before I die, well, but she loves me very much. Good luck. Chapter 20 is not going to have a lot of showmanship here for me because I am just going to basically read it to you. 
Okay. okay. Uh, because there's really no way around it on this You're one. Just read the whole chapter. I did paraphrase some things here, okay. but yeah. So it starts off with God spoke these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt and slavery. You shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I kind of paraphrase this a little bit. Six days you shall labor, and the seventh day is for God. On it you shall not work any work, nor for you, your son, your daughter, your servant, animal, or foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but he rested on the seventh day, therefore it is a holy day. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So then it goes on to say that the people were afraid of the trembling mountain and fire and smoke. So they told Moses to speak for the Lord because they feared the Lord and did not want to die. Moses tells everyone to not be afraid because God has come to test you so that the fear of God will keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick smoke. Then God told Moses to tell everyone the following. You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any other gods to be alongside me. Make an altar of the earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. There's some rules about altars and stones and not defiling the stones with tools. And then the chapter ends literally with this. Do not go up to my altar on steps or your private parts might be exposed. <laughs> did it, did you say private parts? Mine said private parts. That's funny. I mean... Yeah, that's really Do you think funny. I would use private parts? Uh, yeah. What <laughs> Bible are you reading? New International Version, that's baby. That's wild. That's very new. What does yours say? Nakedness. <laughs> Nakedness. It's it's on your dirty bits. Your dirty bits. <laughs> it's in all your bits. Keep your keep your biscuits and Keep your biscuits covered, said your nakedness, which I was confused about because I was like, what does a ladder, what does steps have to do with being naked? Well, you know, you step and then. Yours cleared up the mystery pretty easily. Private parts. Yeah, which would have made sense to me, but I didn't get, I was like, could you imagine if you were still reading the King James? No. I noted that in the, in God's instructions about making sacrifices to God, it says that don't make, don't make gods of silver and gold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just I comment on that in my bit, so. All right. At this point, for me, personally, I'm very close to just being lost here with no return. Um, lost in what way? Just like in this was a very like kind of triggering chapter for me for mm-hmm. some reason. You know, it was hard for me to find empathy, goodness. Right. Yeah. It just there's a couple lines that stood out to me that really made it difficult. It was the one about the jealous God stuff. What? What? I mean, do you talk with me here? Like, what did you think of that? I mean, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I mean, I think it's sounds like it sounds horrible. It just yeah, it sounds like somebody that I would not want to even know, much less worship. Yeah, it and sounds like a classic ancient god. Like it sounds like Zeus. It sounds you know. I yeah. mean, it sounds like a petty like. It sounds like an abuser. We talked about this last episode, and we're talking about a group of people, very vulnerable people that just left slavery. I just think it's wrong and really. I don't know. I just, I didn't, I'm not into it. Uh, the punishing children for the sin of the parents is also like just fucking ridiculous to me for generations and generations. Yeah. Like what in the yeah. hell? Mm-hmm. I'm just lo- I, like, you lost me. You really yeah. lost me. And then my second thing and my biggest thing, and I won't go on long in this chapter because as much as there's so many interesting parts about this, I just really was clouded by like my, there's just bad taste in my mouth over this. This all seems like really convenient rules for Moses. And I'm just very curious what actually went down on in that mountain, on that mountain, whatever it may be. So it just seems like really convenient ru- rules for Moses. Every single one of these rules seems to echo something that Moses would have had to deal with in this court. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's like, this is supposed to be God's word, but like, is it? 
I don't know. I'm like super skeptical about this right now. And not that I blame Moses, but I also just think like it's like this is this is the basis for this religion, for Christianity. I don't know if Judaism is I don't know if ten is that a thing for yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I just and I just think like this this, this is these are the ground rules and we don't even really know if they're from God and it seems like very circumstantial to the situation that they're in right now in this community in the desert. My likes are, I, I've been saying that there's needs to be rules. Here mm-hmm. they are. Yeah. I got my wish. I'm not happy about it. Right. And my dislikes is just that I kind of think that this is manipulative behavior, uh, if even if it is from God, but mostly I'm just very suspicious about Moses, like, kind of claiming these as God's words, but really they're his. Yeah, maybe I'm on like a crazy town sidebar, but not thrilled. I don't think I'm as upset about the rules themselves as you. But like I said, I think these are like the big ones that Moses was like, hey, these are the big these are the big disputes that are coming forward. I think, again, it's a mass email, right? Mm-hmm. I can't keep telling people bit by bit all of these things. So here's the big 10 that I'm dealing with all day in court. Maybe if you can come up with a way to let everybody know all at once. And we'll start there. And then we'll see. I'm going to spoil a little bit. But the next couple chapters are more rules. And we'll find a way to to work this. It's literally two chapters of do this this way, don't do that that way. Do you have to do this and you have to do that and you don't have to do this and you don't have to do that. Maybe two before you launch into it. Some of the rules aren't unreasonable at all. Like yeah. totally reasonable, yeah. right? But I think that maybe because it started with this jealous God spiel and then yeah. the spiel about the generations and punishing the children for the parents. Yeah. And that's where I was just like, yeah, you lost me. Yeah. I was lost. So yeah, yeah, I, I, totally agree with you. I totally agree with you about the the setup. I'm going to share what I think about that at the end. So nobody touched the mountain. Phew. <laughs> like I was really like waiting for and 500 people got killed, right? And they couldn't cuz I would I would have been like, you know, don't t- Roman's always like don't touch that, Daniel. Don't 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 touch that. Don't. And then I do and it breaks and yeah. I can't resist. I can't resist. I'd have been dead. Gotta gotta have stones and arrows thrown at me. Where are the stone tablets? I gotta assume they're coming later. I mean, I want some stone tablets. I I hope it comes later. I hope it's not just for the movies. But I mean, the image that I see is like Moses on top of the mountain with mm. like the stone tablets, and he brings them down. Like there's Look, been guys. there's been no stone tablets, and in fact, I also heard don't use chisels. Yeah, I am a jealous god, and I just this is dangerous. This god is so dangerous. You know, I I read these things and I'm like, no wonder we are the way we are. And I think we've gotten better over time. And I'll get into that. I think that as, you know, I I, I still think that there's awfulness and war, of course. And, but I I do think that we, we are evolving, but people need to be tested and they need to be afraid of punishment. Like, this is how you control people. There's never any positive reinforcement. Not once has God turned around and told any single person, you're doing great. Or like, thank you for for yeah. trusting Moses and coming out right. on yeah. this journey Yeah, why couldn't us? God appear yeah. in a rainbow or a ray of light? Gloomy things. Frightening, <laughs> terrifying things. Yeah. It's, and some of the commandments, uh, you know, like you said, these are pretty solid things to go by. You know, I think it's great to honor your mother and father. The The phrasing of a lot of them, I have a problem. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not do this. What should we do? Why Why aren't we speaking in terms of values or ways that we that we can treat each other that are that are positive, right? Like when I work with clients and they're like, "I oh, I shouldn't drink or eat this." I'm like, "Let's not let's not talk about what what you're not mm-hmm. supposed to do. What can you do?" I'm interested in what's behind the commandments, which we've talked about. Like I get now, and it further clarifies in talking with you that these are probably like the big. The 10 big ones that were coming up for Moses on Judge Judy over there. Uh, <laughs> I I did have a little problem, uh, not just a little one, but I really had to think through and do a little bit of research on the covet thing. Thou shalt not covet. So covet's not an action. To covet isn't an active thing. A covet is a cognitive thing, right? It's a thought. I want what my neighbor has. Mm -hmm. I want my neighbor's wife. I want my neighbor's car. I want my neighbor's donkey. I want whatever. Mm -hmm. My neighbor's Rolex. I want it. And I think that's where maybe, you know, some of these, these feelings about shame of, 
of our thoughts. We shouldn't be ashamed of our thoughts. We can yeah. spend we can spend time with them and, and figure out well why why yeah. am I thinking that? Yeah. Right. And we can work through that with people like you or me and you know try to either accept them or elaborate on them. So I'm just like, you know, people think things like that. Wow, I really want that thing that I'm not supposed to have. Right. There was a note in the annotated Bible on it that it might not just be referring to the simple thought, but a state of covetousness, like when you're gearing up for it. So it made me sort of think like, say, somebody who's working towards sobriety is at that point where they are walking to the bar or Mm -hmm. getting ready to enter the bar, right? They haven't taken the drink yet. So don't go there is what God's saying. But what I actually, once I really started thinking about covetousness, it made me think of something that the minister at the Unitarian Church that I went to in New York, Forest Church, who's like a really famous thinker and preacher, liberal theologian. And his quote was always, want what you have, be who you are, and do what you can. And so not coveting to me can be reframed as a positive, right? That could have been presented as want what you have. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just worry about you and and honor that and spend time with it. My big question was what's happening at the end of this chapter with the stone and the altar and the chiseling? (laughs) But I, I think you explained that pretty well. Other things that I sort of came across in doing a little bit of research, the commandment of thou shalt not murder. So it's thou shalt not murder, right? So just to be clear, murder is not killing. We can kill. We can go to war. We can kill people. What is the difference? Murder is out of passion. It's out of... Like rage. Yeah. 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 Not that people in war aren't enraged. And the whole adultery thing is not about shaming sex. It's about preserving lineages. So it's keeping bloodlines and Mm. family branches accurate, right? We're not intermingling and getting things all all wacky. My dislikes here are jealousy, fear, manipulation. God's approaches are literally, Rachel, the things that I have worked hardest on myself to not do in my life. And so to read that this is how God works with people Mm -hmm. is just really... It's It's off-putting. Yeah, it's really off-putting. And it's really, it's very disappointing. The one like that I pulled was on the like silver and gold issue. This is probably in contrast to other ancient religions where their their kings and their deities are buried with, you know, silver, gold, treasures, incense, iPads. (laughs) But he's also asking a pretty big ask, like, give me your burnt offerings. I mean, these people don't have a whole lot to eat. Like, how many how many goats do you have to eat? And you got to give how many to to God. So he is asking them to give me, you know, give me the things that are most important to you. Mm-hmm. But I just kind of want to touch on, I just kind of want to wrap up w- w- what I've been thinking about over the last day or so. And I touched on it last season. And I've been thinking a lot about behavioral conditioning and punishment and negative reinforcement and this Bible story. And as far as this text goes, and this text in reference to these people of this time, And this text as of the time that it was written in, it makes sense because I think that people were, we've we've evolved, right? And we've emotionally evolved since then. So if you do research on emotion, right, you'll always see the first one is fear. That's the oldest emotion, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's the deepest probably also. So these are still, again, and I've said this before that they're primitive and I don't I don't mean that in some scientific way. I don't know. I'm not talking about like eras or anything like that. But I think that these are still primitive people where I understand contextually why fear is the thing that works. I don't know what the history of love is there, right? It's about your environment. It's about staying alive. It's about food. It's about water. And it's about the lineage. It's not necessarily, I love you, I want to take care of you. So I understand the text and I can sort of accept it because we do have to look at things within the context of their time, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We can't dismiss things 
because of the context of their time. And that's something within like sort of cancel culture right now that I get a little bit of like, mm, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that it should go away. I think it should be framed in the context of their time. That being said, I don't understand people still in the context of our times reading this and thinking that this version of God is okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's me. That's why I'm just like, this isn't, this isn't okay. I also don't understand people who've reinterpreted it as, mm-hmm. you know, I'm to like, be well, that's, okay. yeah, it's like, well, yeah. that's not what it says here, right? Yeah, it's not. It's but not. God is built into our brains. Yeah. And as our brains develop over millennia, our perception and yeah. understanding of God develops too. So that's where I am with it. My brain has been like wild with this this week. It didn't sit well with me. I'm just really curious about all of it. I mean, punishment has been how you control your kids up until like the 80s. Yeah, maybe. Right? Not and even, yeah, yeah, and still, yeah. and still, even still, people discipline or teach their children through fear. Fear and yeah. punishment. This is it. This is yeah. the this is the source. This is why. It is interesting. I, I think that the reason I feel so disappointed is during this project was feeling really proud of myself for not being as pessimistic as I thought I would be reading all of this stuff, right? Yeah. Even though I might sound pretty pessimistic to some listeners out there. <laughs> but uh I'm really doing a good job, guys. Okay. Yeah. No, you're doing a great job. Um yeah, and I, this was the first one where I was like, man, I just like I'm, you lost. I'm I feel back to square one. Yeah, I think I've just sort of detached myself. <laughs> I got to I, I got to reassess. I've been, re- I've been really mad at God this whole book all of exodus i don't know if you've noticed my tone yeah what i realized today is i'm really identifying with moses as like a struggling social worker totally you know and he's grasping at undergraduate field placement this is this is an undergraduate (laughs) field placement if if you're thinking about going into social work no this is like your first job at like community mental health where you get 110 clients and no training well this is that was my undergraduate field placement Next episode, we will do... 21 through 24. It'll, it'll be, I think it'll be interesting stuff. I, I did take a peek and I'll, I, I have a game plan it, yeah. for you. Okay. So we'll talk All about right. that offline. Perfect. Just, we haven't said it in the podcast, but always remember you can follow us on Instagram. You can go on Apple and leave us a nice little review. It always helps to expand our audience. You can follow follow us, uh, you know, actually follow or subscribe on Spotify. But most importantly, just keep listening. We love you. Hi, this is Dan. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And listen, wherever you're following this podcast, whether it be Apple or Spotify, please like download continue to follow us tell your friends you can also follow us on instagram at gay with a bible pod we'd love for you to be part of the conversation leave us messages ask questions be involved we would really love for this to be a community experience thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time